If you would please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning as we look at the book of Malachi chapter 3 on the topic of tithing this morning. Next Lord's Day, we should be in the book of Hebrews as we continue to work through that book, which is, I think, probably, uh, if I could only have two books of the Bible to be the Gospel of John, it would be the book of Hebrews, I believe. Um, Malachi chapter 3, I'm going to start reading in verse 6, reading down through verse 12. Let's hear the word of the Lord. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring in the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no need for more. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the fields shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. You will be a land of the light, says the Lord of hosts. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Uh, pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We pray that it would be to us a light to our path, a lamp to our feet ever and always. Pray that we would delight in knowing more of your word as we would learn more of you. And ask you to be with us now. Be with me as I preach this text. Be with your congregation as they hear it. We pray, O oh God, that you would bless your word to us. O oh God, grant grace to us, we pray, that Christ may be exalted. In Christ's name, amen. There are things in your life that you hate to spend money on. I know. Take a car, for example. We all have a love affair with our cars. That love affair started, I think, back maybe in the 1940s or 50s, something like that. And they built Route 66, you know, that connected the east and the west. And what a popular road it was. The love affair of America with their cars until they break down. I know a lot about that. You take your car to the shop, and the man says, Mr. Wakeland, um, it's going to cost you $2,700 to get your car fixed, but uh, if you don't get it fixed, it's not going to operate properly for you. You're going to be stalled out somewhere and stranded in the middle of nowhere. I've had that happen before. There comes a point in time when you have to bury them. You just have to figure out what that time is. Uh, when you spend more to repair your car than, to, than it's worth, it's about time perhaps to start thinking of another. But the nice thing is you don't have a car payment, right? It's paid for. It's old. It's falling apart. But you don't pay a car payment. 
you pay as much as more than to get repaired, but at least you still, you know, you still have one. You know, no car payment when you're through with it. Or how about taxes? Uh, if you sell a piece of property in Mississippi, you pay a state income tax, and then you pay a federal income tax in the state of Texas. Uh, so they are going to get you. And I'm, I'm not uh, uh, someone who doesn't pay taxes. I, I, I pay my taxes. Uh, it bothers me that they use the money for some of the things they use it for. There's somebody got a whole lot of, a bunch of money to watch a shrimp run on a treadmill. Should have boiled it and eaten it. That's the thing to do with that shrimp. Met all of his brothers and sisters and boiled them and eat them. Uh, the government spent $2.6 million training Chinese prostitutes how to drink more responsibly on the job. If you read these things, you're going to realize there are people who are entirely irresponsible. It's not their money. You know, it's not their money. They don't care what they do with it. Uh, there was uh, the, um, the SEC, the Security Exchange Commission, spent $3.9 million rearranging their desk and offices in their D.C. headquarters. I could have done it for a whole lot less than that. I'd helped them out with it. $3.9 million. And so it goes that we hear of these things and the absurdity of how they use our money, and yet we can't do anything about it. So we hate to pay some taxes, do we not? I don't mind spending them for good uses. But things like this are just ridiculous. But again, we can't do anything about it. So what else do we hate to spend our money on? Well, what about the church? Do we hate to spend our money on the church? Do we hate to give to the church? To tithe or not to tithe, that is the question. So what is your view on tithing? We're going to talk about that a bit as we go through here. We are not going to be too terribly long. Uh, but uh, what is your view on tithing? Do you tithe? Whether or not you tithe says something about your view on tithing. You remember Malachi is the last book written in the Old Testament, written some time between Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem in 432 B.C., and the things that were taking place when Nehemiah returned are the things that Malachi writes about in his book. So there was corruption everywhere. There was corrupt priests. There were corrupt people. There were corrupt husbands, you know, getting rid of their wives after they got old to get some, like say, trade in the car for a newer model. Corrupt marriages, corrupt worship, and corrupt use of money. How did this possibly happen? Failure on the parts of leadership. That's how it happened. The priests were not doing what they were supposed to do. They didn't care. They disregarded God's rule for living, that we call it the law. And things were in a mess in the church in this period of history. So what does God say to them? He says, return to me. You talk about grace, return to me and I will return to you. Well, how shall we return, they say. We haven't done anything. We haven't gone anywhere. That's the theme throughout the book. You've done this. No, we haven't. How have we done that? You're robbing me. No, how have we done that? He says, in your tithes and offering, return to me and I will return to you. How? By paying your tithes and offerings. Their motto, uh, their uh, mode of operation, their, the way they responded every time was, well, what did we do? It's like you're talking to someone and you bring something up to them. And they say, yeah, well you, well, you did this. What about that? Huh? What about that? Huh? That's what they're doing to God. What have we done? 
we've done nothing. Well, Nehemiah begins to instruct them through the Lord and in telling them that what they need to do in order to return to God is to begin to tithe again. He does not hesitate in it. Bring the whole tithe and offering to God. They are rightfully his. You know, I don't particularly like paying taxes. We sold a piece of property in Mississippi one time, a long, long, long time ago, and had to pay the state taxes, had to pay taxes here. Most unpleasant. They didn't own the property. They didn't work the property. They did nothing except take money away from me. So I didn't really enjoy doing that. But I do enjoy giving to the church. By God's grace, I enjoy doing that. I try to give more than a tithe as I'm able to do so because I enjoy doing that. But I don't like paying for cars and I don't like paying for taxes per se when they do such foolish things with the money. This morning we'll see this from, the, from this text. Since tithing is an established biblical principle normative for all ages, since tithing is an established biblical principle normative for all ages, the Christian must bring that tithe if he would be obedient to the Lord. Three things very quickly. The problem of the tithe with hell the obligation of the tithe demanded, and the blessing of the tithe given. The first thing, then, the problem of the tithe with hell. Historically, tithing has been a part of different nations throughout antiquity. The practice of tithing was not exclusive to Israel. But in Genesis chapter 14, 17 through 21, you know, this is the section of Scripture where Abraham has defeated Chedorlaomer, the kings of the north, and he collects all the loot and takes it back with him. And there's this man, a king of Salem, called uh, Melchizedek. Uh, he was priest of God Most High. And Abraham gives him a tenth of everything that he received. And Abraham, in giving it, recognizes the kingship and the priesthood of this man, Melchizedek. And it's somewhat normative because in the book of Hebrews, when the writer of the Hebrews is talking about it, he mentions the fact that Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. So, again, it's something that was practiced in the Old Testament. And, by the way, if you study Old Testament history, the people in the Old Testament paid about 30% of what they got in tithes. 10% to uh, the, the priest. Uh, and the 10% of the first of everything went to the Lord. So there were total, if you look at it all together, about 30% of what they got, maybe 33%, was tithed to the work of the Lord or to the work of the Lord's laborers, if you will. And in First uh, Samuel chapter 8, we read when Israel asked for a king, and you remember what Samuel says, you have rejected God, who is your true king. You've rejected him. He said, what's the king going to do? He's going to take the king's tithe, which is 10% of everything. So he's going to take 10% of your flock. He's going to take 10% of your fruit. He's going to do all of these things because the tenth goes to the king. And so Malachi, in talking to the people of old, points out two areas where Israel is failing. That is the obligation of the tithe. Israel was to give a tenth of all of its increase. Leviticus 27, 30 through 33. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed or the land of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And so one commentator said this. What is the point of tithing? 
uh, what do we demonstrate by tithing? It says, Thus they acknowledge God to be the owner of their land, the giver of its fruits, and themselves to be his tenants and dependents upon him. Thus they gave him thanks for the plenty they enjoyed and supplicated his favor in the continuance of it. And they were called upon to give and to give faithfully. And so as we reason through things and as we reason biblically, we recognize that the jobs that we have come to us according to God's providence, according to his provision. He gives it to us. And as a response to that, not only do we give because of the fact that we are commanded to do so, we also give out of gratitude to God for the jobs that we have. The second thing is they weren't simply upholding the tithe. There was also the obligation of the offering. They were failing to do that as well. There are various offerings in Israel, and they were made for the temple. They were also made to support the priests and the work of the priests, the service and the work. However, Israel was refusing to give what the Lord required. So again, this interesting question Malachi asked, keep in mind, this was written uh, 400 years before Christ came. Will you rob God? It would take a bold preacher to get up in the pulpit and say, will you rob God? Well, that's what you're doing. I'm not that bold. The prophet says, will you rob God? Now, we know in some sense there's an absurdity to that because we can't really rob God because God owns everything. It's something of a preposterous question. But it cuts to the heart of the problem. They're withholding from God what is rightfully his. And so the prophets say, says to them, will you rob God? Failure to honor God by giving him his death is to hold back what belongs to the Lord. And God looks at it as robbery. I don't preach on tithing that often. But it's in the Bible. You want to make folks mad, talk to them about what they do with their money. Talk to them about tithing personally on a one-to-one basis to see what happens. Uh, Some folks tend to get aggravated. And so it's something we have to deal with. It's something we have to examine ourselves. Are we being faithful to the Lord in using our money to give to the church a tithe of all that we receive. What was Israel's response when he said, you're robbing God? Will a man rob God? Well, how are we doing that? They knew the law. They knew what they were supposed to do. And yet they were ignoring it when the prophet confronts them. What are you talking about? How in the world are we robbing God? And he says, by withholding what is rightfully the Lord's. And because of their sin, God is withholding his blessings. He says, you are cursed with a cursed. He deals with them as his covenant people. Israel, of all people, had entered into, uh, God had entered into a relationship with them uh, that through Abraham and his descendants, all the world should be blessed ultimately through the birth of Christ for our behalf. But in that covenant relationship, there were covenant obligations. And so God was withholding blessings from them. He was withholding his bounty. And we know that to withhold from God is a matter of law-breaking. And so that means it is a matter of obedience to give to the Lord that which he requires of us. You remember how David prayed in Psalm 51? Ask yourself this question. 
Is there a pleasure and an enjoyment of God's presence when we are living in rebellion against him? Open rebellion, constant rebellion. And the answer to that is no. What did David say? Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. I think John Piper, I think it was John Piper, either John Piper or John MacArthur, I can't remember, wrote a book called something like uh, Knowing God's, uh, The Pleasure of Knowing God, or Living in His Presence, and The Pleasure of Living in His Presence, something like that. <clears throat> I can't remember the exact title. Uh, so the point is that as Christians, it should be pleasurable for us to know God, pleasurable for us to experience God and have God as a part of our daily life, uh, moment by moment, it should be something that is precious to us. Well, the people of Israel had lost that because they are living in rebellion against God and by withholding what is rightfully His. So the second thing is the obligation of the tithe demanded to correct the sin of Israel. All they need to do is give what is rightfully God's. Now, what is their problem? Well, they considered their money their own, not the Lord's at all. None of it belonged to God as far as they were concerned. You remember when they were giving their animals for sacrifice, they were giving blemished animals. Remember what the prophet said, what God said through the prophet, give it to your governor, see if he likes it. And now they're withholding the tithe that rightfully belongs to the Lord. And again, they looked at their bills, they looked at how much money they made, they looked at how much money God demanded and they could not obey it. Cannot obey because it is most impractical. You think about this. Most of us have at least two cars. I kind of have a car and a half. My $200 car does what it's supposed to do. No AC, but it runs. I, lo- I, I love that car. It's got character. A lot of character. Flat screen TVs throughout the house. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we have plenty. And if we don't tithe, it's because we don't budget for it. You have to budget for it, perhaps. Probably a good thing to do. But it is to be remembered that what we have comes to us from God, and he does tell us to give him a tenth of it. So though we earn money, you know, you think about guys that are really, 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 really rich, Really, really rich. I don't think anybody in their congregation fits that. I'm talking about people like George Soros, people like that, Dreyfus, people like that. That I have a bunch. Of, how many of those people do you think really believe they are where they are because of God's grace, and they have an obligation to use that money for God's glory? I don't think any of them do. You remember the problem with the rich young ruler? Uh, his worth came through how much he owned. His well-being came through how much he owned, and he was a lover of money. One thing you like, Jesus said, you've done all this stuff, that's good. That's good. But you got a heart problem. And it can't be fixed by a ablation. It can't be fixed by a stent. It can only be fixed by conversion. And the hard problem is you're a lover of money. So you give away all your money because it's your idol, it's your God, really. Give all that away and then come and follow me. And by the way, God doesn't tell everybody to do that. 
But this man's problem was he loved money more than he loved God. And he didn't want to follow Christ. He gave up eternal life. He gave up knowing Jesus for his bank account. Ever how much that happened to have been. But he was a wealthy man. So again, how many people do you think that are really, really, really wealthy? Uh, by uh, the wealthy today, uh, Bill Gates, uh, even, even President Trump. That kind of people. I, I have no idea what President Don't Don't come up here and say you're accusing President Trump. Uh, I don't know what his attitude is toward his money. Uh, but I do know that most of those guys, especially those in, that are, are non-believers, give God no credence at all. None whatsoever. As a Christian, do you give God credence for what you have? You have it by his grace. So the challenge goes out to them. Uh, test me in this and see if I don't bless you abundantly. You know, try me. This is where God's calling them to test him out in this. See if I do not bless you with overwhelming blessings if you do what I tell you to do, if you simply bring in the whole tithe. Test me in this and see. See, that was a problem. They weren't doing it for, I don't know what reasons they weren't doing it, but it has something to do with trusting God to care for them. We are not to throw caution to the wind when it comes to our finances. I'm not a financial wizard. I'm more of a financial gizzard. Not real smart with money. God didn't give me that gift. I recognize I've learned slowly over time it's good to, to keep account of it, keep up with it. It's a good thing to do. It doesn't uh, all of a sudden just appear. But it is as we have our monies and remember God gave them to us that he deserves and he requires a tenth of it. And as we are able to be generous to others around us, we should do that above and beyond the tenth that God asks us to give to him. So there the challenge goes out. Well, what is the result of this? Well, the blessing of the tithe given, he says to them, other nations are going to call you blessed. And they know you're my people. They know you're my covenant people. And they're going to know that I did this for you. And it is because of my faithfulness to you that you have what you have. They're going to call you blessed. The curse will be lifted. You will no longer be robbing me, the whole nation of you. And you will find that your storehouses are full. Test me in this, says the Lord. As far as I know, this is the only place in the Old Testament, or perhaps in the Bible, where people are called to put God to the test like this. Give the tenth and see if I do not bless you and see if I do not take care of you. And uh, we have to do the same thing to trust God to take care of us again. Uh, watching our monies, being aware of how much we have, being aware of how much we have to spend and so forth. But then again, giving a tenth and trusting God for the results. This is his intention of God's covenant uh, people for him to bless them. And again... The blessing will be obvious to all in the Old Testament. There are people today who don't believe that we tithe. They don't believe in tithing. And there are reasons they say, well, it's, it's not really mentioned in the New Testament. Well, it is. 
When Christ talks about the Pharisees giving a tenth, he didn't say they shouldn't be doing that. He says to do that plus abide by the rest of the law. So it is mentioned. And the example of the widow that Charles read earlier who gave her two cents, if you will, uh, into the uh, uh, offering box as she walked by it, uh, Christ said this is really a great example of giving. She gave everything she had to live on. Oh, she was a fool, right? What a foolish, foolish thing to do. No, it was a faith expression. And Christ commended her for it. This one woman uh, in the New Testament, as far as I know, uh, is the only person ever to be commended by Christ for their giving, I think. And she didn't give much, but her heart was behind it. And what she gave, she gave in all sincerity and love and trust in the Lord. People that support tithing, F.F. Bruce, John Owen, the old Puritan, Carl F. Henry, John MacArthur, John Piper, Chuck Swindoll, um, Dr. Joseph Piper. These are some that I can mention to you that believe tithing should be something that we do today that is proper for us to do. And as we do so, again, we live in faith and trust that God is going to take care of us. Uh, and the basis of our giving is this. The principle is God owns everything anyway. It's all his, and we're stewards of what God gives to us, and he calls us to give a tenth of what we receive and then trust in him, trust him uh, to bless us. Do you rob God? You think about the greatest gift that we have that we could ever have in this life, and, you know, uh, uh, is Christ, not money. I like money as much as anybody. But we can't set our hopes on it. Think of the people at Enron. We've talked about that before. Went to bed worth $2 million, woke up worth nothing. And we can say, well, you know, they just didn't invest wisely. I would have invested wisely. I would have spread it all out. Well, yeah, hindsight's great. They had no idea what was going on in that company. They had no idea that overnight they were going to be worthless. So we can't put our hope in it. Our hope rests solely and squarely upon Christ and what he has done for us and the greatest gifts he has given to us. And so we can ask ourselves, do we really love Christ more than we love our money? Do you really love Jesus more than you love money? And the next question, how do you show it? How do you show it? Do you give a tenth of all that you receive? All of our increase, it says in the scriptures, we are to give a tenth for that. We had a discussion, and there are people that disagree with this. Do we tithe on an inheritance? I did. I mean, I thought it was a proper thing to do. Not only did I tithe on it, I had to sell enough stock to be able to pay an inheritance uh, 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 tithe, and, uh, and then, I could, then the government got me. You had to pay taxes on what you sold. But I felt it the right thing to do. And to me, it was, uh, you know, it is an increase that we receive. I talked to Joey Piper about it, and Joey said, well, he did. And then I read something about it. It says that you could probably make an argument that uh, it's not necessary in the New Testament. 
All the things of the Old Testament do not carry over. The inheritance of the Old Testament to be kept in the family that doesn't carry over to the New Testament because it was property. But why not? Why not give tithe and inheritance? Why not? You know, that's the Lord's money too. Why not tithe and inheritance? Maybe you don't have to. Maybe it's not something that is mandatory. But, you know, you have that section of Scripture where it says this, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. What a grand thing to be able to give from a surplus that we have by God's grace and in God's providence. So, shall we rob the Lord, he says here? No, we shall not do that. And we shall trust him for all things to take care of us. And what a privilege it is to give money to the work of the church. What a greater privilege it is to give on top of that tithe ourselves to the work of the church. To minister to one another, to love one another deeply. And to demonstrate to the world we are Christians by our generosity, by our commitments, and by our following after Christ. Let's pray.